This podcast is a part of the Podmania Podcasting Network. Check out podmania.co.uk to check out more of our great podcasts, features, reviews, match ratings and previews spanning the crazy and diverse world of professional wrestling. Hello, my name is Simon Miller from What Culture Wrestling and you are listening to the Podmania Pro Wrestling Podcast and you better keep listening to it. Why? Here's why. You're listening to the Podmania Pro Wrestling Podcast, a sample of the best pro wrestling podcasts we can produce on our tiny budget. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Podcast Addict, CastBox, and all other podcast platforms. If it's wrestling you want, check out more of our great content at podmania.co.uk. Let's do this. of the Pod Mania podcast. I'm your host, Rob Gooden. I'm joined by Chris O'Brien and our own resident Paul Daniels, the magician, the magic show himself, Garth Jackson. Didn't think that I was going to bring that up, did you? I want to know all about this fucking magic show that you were doing. I still think it's code and you have a secret only fans. Uh, I think... Yeah. Um... You're aiming too high thinking that I could be doing magic. <laughs> it's actually uh, my seven-year-old son <laughs> doing his magic show. <laughs> so, okay. This is that's far less entertaining than you actually on a Microsoft Teams call to whoever this person in New Zealand and you just doing really, really shit Poundlang magic. It would just be, be absolutely fair. amazing. It's like to get companies to merge. It's like that <laughs> it's would be like. Bad as <laughs> that would be like, um, like immeasurably more exciting. Is is that how you got um your job? You just turned up with a pack of cards. Yeah, just pick a card. <laughs> what what is it? Yeah, that, that's what I was thinking of as well. <laughs> <laughs> no, here's what you do: you turn up a pack of cards, but they're all the same card. Mm-hmm. So, for those who don't know, Garth said that he couldn't join us for an earlier podcast because he was doing a magic show, and that is legitimately his excuse, which might be the greatest excuse I've ever heard in my life. So, uh, well done, Garth. Anyway, today's podcast, um, we've taken a little bit of it, um, of a different tack with what we're doing today. Obviously, this week, The Undertaker, it was announced that he was retiring from in-ring competition. Now, it wasn't done in the conventional way by having one last match and then a big pomp and circumstance retirement ceremony. Uh, obviously, partly, I imagine, in uh, because of the current circumstances with COVID-19. But it was announced on the last episode of The Last Ride documentary. Um, he's basically said that he's done in ring, can't see himself getting back into the ring, and wants to spend more time with his family. So, Garth... 30 years of The Undertaker in the WWE, and that's it. And I've been here for every one of them. That's a that's a sad, sad state of affairs, isn't it? I was here way before. <laughs> <laughs> I was here when I told you were no key. Um, nah, unbelievable. And the fact that it's never been... He's never been off the top, really. He's always been, like, the main if not sort of headline attraction. Even his Mania matches where he's not 
the headline, but he is still the main event. Like, just incredible. And I think with that, with the documentary, the way they've done it, I think it's opened him up to see how much he actually genuinely does like love wrestling, like properly everything he's done is to protect it and make it special for the fans and stuff. And like watching it, like get getting like proper emotion on the last one, just thinking like this guy's doing everything. The amount of surgeries and shit he's had, yeah, he's probably made a shit ton of money, but he loves it. Totally loves it. He comes back. He, he comes back with the drop of a hat. Um, and I think the way they did it on the obviously spoilers of anyone who hasn't seen the um, documentary, the way they've done it, and this is pretty much the wind down. I think that's really clever, and it's him doing it in his way, in a sort of candid and open way. And you can see how he gets sort of quite emotional about it at times. So the stuff I turned up in that, I just had no idea about. And it was just just really good. And just probably the greatest. Like, I know there's talk of, there's obviously talk of like, you've got Bret Hart, HBK. Undertaker's more important than those people, I think. He's not quite Tai Chi, but yeah, he's, he's pretty important. <laughs> He's one of those people, like, I was saying to Chris before we came on that um, my girlfriend knows that the Undertaker, my girlfriend's mate knew that the Undertaker had retired. It, it was so weird, and, like, they've got no no idea what to do, you know, anything to do with wrestling. My brother, who is not a wrestling fan by any stretch of the imagination, he has seen every single one of Undertaker's WrestleMania matches. He's just, he's one of those people that you mentioned wrestling, no matter how much you hate the WWE, how much you despise them, you will watch The Undertaker's matches. Yeah. You will know about The Undertaker and you will know that he is a pillar of that industry. And to have that gone, he was the last the last one really of that guard, of that era that people were holding on to. And that's mm-hmm. that's re- that's Really quite sad. I mean, obviously, Kane never had an official retirement, so we live in hope of Kane's resurrection and <laughs> subsequent title run. But, um, Chris, what was your... Because you... Obviously, because we're all very different ages, um, we all sort of know Undertaker from different eras. Now, unless I'm very much mistaken, you're very much a 2007 SmackDown era Undertaker fan. Yeah, where he was basically like an elder statesman, like you know, like the old westerns that I definitely haven't seen. Um, <laughs> but like, yeah, like the old man in like the rocking chair and cowboy hat, and he steps in whenever the town's having a conflict. Take was kind of like that. He was actually in, believe it or not, the first ever world championship match I ever saw. Um, I, can I guess it was with either Batista or Edge? It was Batista, because um, that's all he did. <laughs> That's the only people he faced. I was just going to say, for about three years, they seem to be the only people he fought, and JBL. <laughs> and JBL. Jeff Hardy, very, very occasionally. Rey Mysterio once, and then he sat on his face and broke it. Um, not in that way. But yeah, it was against Batista, and like it's the first like one-on-one match where I was like, okay, I get, I get wrestling. Now I get why this is so cool, because Batista came out, and you're like, oh my god, look at this animal. Look at this beast. <laughs> and then Undertaker, and then Undertaker comes out, and my bong happens, and you have fucking chills up and down you. You like it's to my ten year old mind, there is no one more legit than the Undertaker. Like it's like legitimately striking figure, even without 
all the bells and whistles. Like, he literally felt like the most important guy in the room whenever he walked into it. And I'm sorry if you two disagree, but I definitely, like, my generation got best take it from, like, 2007 to 2010, 2011-ish, when he was... Because that's when he started having banger after banger at Mania. Like, he had his um, Batista match, which, I'm sorry, that's his first great Mania matches. There's no real great... Well, apart from Orton before... That and then you had um, the Edge match, which is an underrated classic of an un- of a main event. And then you had, of course, the T Michaels matches, the two Triple H matches, and yeah, just amazing. Okay. When I think of big gold belt, I think of Edge, Batista, and Undertaker, basically. So yeah, the thing with Jake was he seemed to have better matches in smaller pay per views. Um, yeah, no, that's the thing, because if you think leading up to WrestleMania 22, he had two matches with Angle, both of which were fucking great, because of course the one was Kurt Angle. Um, so that he, he had that... Um... Casket match with Mark Henry. Oh, God, I... The world's strongest tombstone. tombstone. Wrong. <laughs> Did he... I don't know what mania it was where he had the match with Triple H, was in the cage. 28. Oh, the how... 28. 2001. 2001? No, that was just a no-holds-barred one at x that was That was class. That was really good. That was really good. I forgot about that one. Also, it's Ric Flair match. You know, it turns out I was talking bollocks. So... <laughs> Actually, scratch that rewind. <laughs> but I, da- but like, I, I don't think you can really argue with like my generation of Taker being like the best Taker, really. Like, can you? You can try. And I swear to God, if you say um, Hulkamania era, I'm going to go Newcastle. <laughs> I, I I don't know. Like every era has had its moments. Um, obviously, the time when he teamed up with Snake Ro- uh, Jake Roberts for whatever reason. Um, because he trusted him to crush the wedding. That was amazing. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> so good. So fucking random. No, made um, no sense whatsoever, <laughs> but still amazing. Do you remember um, when um, Undertaker, um, he lost the Kafka match to, I think it was Yokozuna. It was. And then, mm-hmm. um, and then literally ascended to the fucking heavens. Oh, that was amazing. I watched that live and it was like, oh, this is the height of pantomime. Yeah, I never, ever, ever wanted to hear from you again that wrestling was more legit back in your day. <laughs> what are you talking about? He was ascending to the heavens? He was a dead man? God's not real, Gareth. I hate to break it to you. Uh, I, I used to love it when he um, used to wear that white mask as well. The Phantom of the Opera like, mask. When he, broke his, the when he broke his face. <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't, like, kidnap Sonny and go up to the rafters. <laughs> when I kidnapped Stefan, tried to marry him. Oh, God, yeah, that was so... <laughs> oh, my God. Crucified Stone Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> you will get to... We will get to Ministry Taker. I'm not quite ready to discuss Ministry you know, Taker yet. Like when I was just look, like looking back through the records and look like his history and stuff, he's like the the periods between his title runs were, were ridiculous. Like so, by sort of 2002, he'd only had three titles. It was like his third like title reign. Yeah, unbelievable. He held yeah, the actual like... WWF Championship twice. He held it. He beat Psycho Sid for it at WrestleMania yep. 13. And then he won it with the help of Ric Flair at this Tuesday in Texas. Yeah. In uh, Ric Flair 1991, and, um... I think. Yeah. 
Was that against... That was Hogan. Hogan, aye. Yeah, and then Hogan won it straight back, because of course he fucking did. Want to know something slightly amazing? Of course. So I, I pulled up his um, Pro Fight DB um, thing earlier, and what one thing Pro Fight DB does that I think is really cool is it um, it gives you little listings for, and like stats. So Undertaker um, has won sixty eight percent of any match he's ever had. And he's won seventy percent of matches in WWF and sixty percent of matches in WWE. Like while it, just while it's been WWE, he won one hundred and seventy-three televised matches and only lost sixty-four times compared to that. <laughs> and I bet you most of them was in random tag matches. Also, yeah, he, he had a match in OVW. I did not know that. I think for anyone to retire after thirty years and to have a winning percentage. Of any of any kind, it could be fifty-one forty-nine. To have a winning percentage with the amount of matches that he's had is fairly spectacular. Yeah, um, he is. On, he only has an overall losing percentage in two promotions. I want you two to guess what they are. He's only had what? He's only, he only has a losing percentage in two promotions. Um, WCW. It's a. Um, no, actually, and there's no WCW listings, but in NWA, he's, he won 62% of his listed matches. Was he not in, like, um, or just there? Was he not in, um, like, Mid-South or Jim Crockett or something like that? He, um, that's what NWA falls under. Oh, yeah. OVW. OVW, he actually, he's won 100% of his matches in OVW. <laughs> Tag match with him and Kane against DDP and Leviathan, who is who is Batista. So. Batista, <laughs> Leviathan, what a name! Go on, who? So, which promotions? Uh, so it was New Japan. He lost um, a match as Punisher Dice Morgan with Scott Hall against Masa Saito and Shinya Hashimoto at, in, at the New Japan Hiroshima Show in March nineteen ninety. And also the USWA, which is um, Jarrett's promotion, um, where he was beaten by Dutch Mantel and Steve Austin against. <laughs> pu- he was the Punisher, and his. I can't believe this. His partner was called the Soul Taker. The Soul Taker. The Soul Taker. <laughs> and the Soul Taker is the Godfather. Brilliant. Oh, that's outstanding. And he lost a singles match as um, as the Master of Pain. To Dutch Mantel. Master of Pain. That's well him and uh, him and uh, Godfather Papa Shango whatever like Bezzy mates, aren't they? Oh yeah, he had that what was it called for something clan. The BSM. Yeah, because he had it across his um chest, didn't he? He also yeah. had across his neck, that's all. Have you heard have you heard some of the stories from that BSM thing? Oh, but some just amazing like for Absolute example, badasses. But it's not just um but but um Kevin Nash. Okay, so Wrestlers weren't allowed to go to strip clubs, which seems fair because they were family friendly at the time. Um, but Kevin Nash convinced like X Pac and Scott Hall to go to one, and they turn up, and who's sitting there? Undertaker. <laughs> and he's like, "What? <laughs> what are you gonna do about like, it? You're gonna fucking tell me?" Um, what I love is the story of um, around WrestleMania 14. Shawn Michaels was apparently being a bit of a dick. It's a surprise. And um, he was gonna like shoot on Steve Austin or something. 
so Undertaker, um, to make sure he wouldn't do this, told him he would beat the shit out of him if um, he didn't come back, if he came back through that curtain with the title. And <laughs> to make sure Shawn Michaels knew this, stood like Gorilla and started taping up his fist right as Shawn Michaels about to go for this match. <laughs> Excellent. I well, think... well, he was he was there during the whole Bret Hart screw job thing, wasn't he? Where like basically they all liked the take. It was like, did you know about this? Did you know about this? And he kind of sort of told Bret just fucking spark Vince out. <laughs> um, he also like Wrestler Cut. There's some unbelievable stories from Wrestler Cut. Oh, I love I love the I, I love the the idea of it. <laughs> We, uh, like, like, the idea of it is funny, but the reality of it is very disturbing. Oh, yeah, totally. But, like, the idea of, like, Edge and Christian gave action figures to a producer so they then um, had to bribe Undertaker with a bottle of whiskey. <laughs> and then these, and then, <laughs> I mean, oh, God, hey, brilliant. <laughs> you say, Chris, that your, your era's Undertaker was the best one, and... Oh, well, that feels like a long time ago now. <laughs> I mean, we don't exactly have a leg to stand on. The problem was, in The Undertaker's early career, was that Vince openly didn't see him as a championship threat and saw him as a person to take on the big men. I mean, you look at his ninety, his 93 through 95 run and his list of competitors, he took on Yokozuna, Mr. Hughes, himself, Mr. King Kong Bundy... Giant Gonzalez, and again, himself in the main <laughs> event of SummerSlam. So you look at that, and then, of course, you know, he's had matches with Sid, Big Boss Man that have all been duds. It's They just saw him as a person to take sort of this carny attraction. And I think once he got past being this carny attraction, obviously being a legit zombie is always going to be a little bit of a carny attraction. But once we got over the ridiculous pomp and circumstance that the 90s had given him, that was when we started to get the legit badass taker that we all loved. I mean, around yeah. the Attitude Era, even with the Ministry of Darkness, which, again, we'll get into. Um, I just think that he was better there because he was seen as more of a legitimate threat. Even Big Evil and, you know, the American Badass, which was met with divisive opinions at the I, time. I loved that. I loved it. I loved it, yeah, because he was, it was something different. It showed a completely different side of him. And he was... You did see him as a legit badass then. You really, really did. And that is actually it, my favourite taker. It, w- it worked in the context of the show at the time as well. It really did. And the way they wrote him out to bring him back as the dead man was perfect. Also, very quickly, how great was his theme about that? Oh, amazing. Is that we- the, um, you done it now. You done it now. <laughs> You've gone and made a big mistake. Like, no wrestling fan can hear that and not try and do the voice. No, exactly. <laughs> or whenever they and hear that- the bell and they go, dead man walking. You have uh, to do it. You have to. <laughs> <laughs> he even got Limp Biscuit over. Like, or even when you hear, keep rolling, rolling, rolling on. That was that was a mate. That theme it it shouldn't have worked with Undertaker because you know Limp Biscuit are. I I still listen to them. I'll be perfectly honest, but they are they are <laughs> they are hateful as a band. 
But I fucking used to hate them, but I love that song for that. That theme, that, that theme Mania. was amazing. Mania 19, like, where they played him onto the stage live when he played when he took on A Train and the Big Show in his two on one handicap match. <laughs> one of the lesser known street matches. I thought, I, you say the myth is off. I once matched with someone on Tinder whose favorite album was Chocolate Starfish and the Hot Dog Flavored Water. That is no one's favorite album. That that was this person's favorite album. That's not even Limp Biscuit's favorite Limp Biscuit album. I mean, like, do, name one good Limp Biscuit album. Um, what's that one? The Chocolate Starfish, or whatever it's called. That's the only one I know. But that's the one I just mentioned. Um, Chocolate right. Starfish and Hot Dog Flavored Water. What shit album names? <laughs> <laughs> that that dude, that dude, that's one album. New I, metal, I, new metal. Ugh. <laughs> so we've just got Garth's opinion on that yeah, I like how just randomly in every podcast Old Man Garth comes out and it's like the most random thing they don't expect it to come out and then he's just like <laughs> I was still oh. in like full indie mode at that time uh, you're still in full indie I was just going to say what do you mean you were at that point you're in a yeah. fucking you're in a fucking indie tribute band. I was just gonna say. No, a '90s tribute band that we play Spice Girls and fucking dance music. Ladies and gentlemen, go look, look up a loaded '90s tribute band on Facebook. Um, <laughs> next little plug for you. Um, but yeah, screeching away. But with American Badass Taker, it's it's a weird one. For every great thing about American Badass Taker, there's a bad thing. Like for every. Brock Lesnar feud, there's Vince McMahon saying he's going to have um, his wife raped, which is literally a thing that happened. Oh, yeah. And don't get me wrong, it wasn't a perfect run. I mean, we must never, ever, ever forget that choke slam on Hulk Hogan at Judgment Day. I mean, Hulk Hogan's fault, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, so Jesus, we couldn't get up. That, it's the <laughs> worst tamest it's basically he picks him up like a small child and lays him we talked about worst finishes on a podcast that's coming out on tuesday and genuinely just this finish not the choke slam in general just this one in a bubble is one of the worst i mean it was a shit match anyway it got two stars on the podmania rating scale but yeah i know what you mean chris we're not we're not viewing the undertaker with rose tinted spectacles but, but- yeah, I know you what know you mean. Is my two favorite things about this run. One that we used to try to get Nathan Jones over. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Nathan Jones. And two, uh, the two things that all coincided at Mania 19 when we had Blunt Biscuit playing out and who was introduced as WWE's favorite band in the whole world. Like, mm. could you get more sarcastic? I mean, let's not, let's be. Let's be honest here. It was Limp Biscuit, and then it became Saliva, which is even worse. Ugh. So, <laughs> just got, <laughs> just got the, the name of these, but I bet he hates Code Orange. Who? The basically Orange. they're NXT's favorite band at the moment. Them and Poppy. Um, to be fair, Poppy's great. No, she's but not. yeah, she is. No, I'll, I'll fight you. Um, all but... sounds the same. No, it doesn't. Fuck off. Uh, you, listen to, you listen to Oasis, who've made a career of singing the same song over and over again at different paces. Off the way down to fucking Blackpool, Garth, you gave, me and you had a massive conversation about ACDC, and they have the same three songs. Don't Another get me wrong, they're great. That's great. 
love ACDC. Uh, anyway, um, I don't know. Like, I think Undertaker was at his best as sort of elder statesman Taker, which sort of started with Big Evil and American Badass. But, like, it's weird, because, like, in the years leading up to American Badass, he's very, very, very clearly wanted that to happen. Do you, have you seen that um, promo he's cut um, when he was teaming with Big Show about how he <laughs> went to the, the desert. desert on bike yeah. and they left men for dead or something? And it's sort of like, oh, God, we, we've come a long way from fucking Paul Bearer. Um, Come a long way from the w- widest tie known to man. Oh, the <laughs> oh my god! And those we purple think... gloves. Why right, so were they we... purple? Have you seen it... the? Have you watched the latest episode of the documentary? I haven't watched any of it. Oh, it's so funny when he's talking about those early days, and he's talking about he brought his dad to a show. And he's putting the makeup on. He looked over and his dad just sitting there shaking his head. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Dad, I'm just going to go to makeup and you see his dad. Oh, for God's sake. He's like, he gave up a scholarship and a basketball sort of um, scholarship and all this to, to, to do this. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. But looking back at his debut, like, just looking back at it's it, now, we talk about Paul Bearer, which, you know, that combination of those two is absolutely iconic. But let us not forget <laughs> that he was not the Undertaker's first manager. No, no, no. Brother love. I love you. And Who thought that was a good idea, genuinely? It was him, and it was the fact that he was Ted DiBiase's secret partner. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it just made no sense. You know, what, you know what I do kind of love, though, is that Brother Love was like, I'm very, like, on air was like, I'm very clearly not equipped to manage the Undertaker, so here's Undertaker's new manager, Paul Bearer. And it's like, yes, okay, that makes sense. But wait, it's, fu- it's, it's funny what, um, watching that documentary, and you realise how much of a hand Pritchard's had in the Undertaker's sort of career. Massive, I was, massive. I was listening like, to his podcast, and his podcast is great, Um and he was talking about, going back to what Chris said, he was talking about going to Big Evil. And the problem he had with the dead man gimmick was that it was very one-dimensional. And if you watch a lot of his early matches, they are quite one-dimensional. They're quite a slow pace. And he wanted to do more than that, which was why Big Evil happened. And they really, really, really had to persuade him to go back to the, to the dead hmm. man gimmick. Be, to say like look trust me it will draw money it will be great and it took them like properly talking him into it it took a, it took like a year to talk him into it and they said that you know you can still wrestle how you wrestle as big evil but you will for all intents and purposes be the dead man the person that you know everyone knows the undertaker that everyone knows um, and it's just quite interesting to see that you know the gimmick that he you know he was he was most known for he didn't particularly like. Well, he's an old schooler, isn't he? He'd hate a gimmick like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you look at his, especially later on, when he was still, you know, classed as the dead man, you look at the Boneyard match, and, you know, he's he's dead man only in name there, really, isn't he? I mean, you've got the yeah. Danny, you've got the bike, um, and, you know, as he progressed later and later throughout the um, throughout the Deadman gimmick, I mean, he came back at WrestleMania 20 against Kane as the Deadman, and that was 2004. So, you know, 
you look at those matches, Chris, against Batista and Edge and Mark Henry and, you know, going towards the Shawn Michaels ones, he was known as The Undertaker and The Dead Man in name only because he still wrestled a far higher pace, a far far better pace, let's be perfectly honest, and was therefore having far, far better matches. And I think that's, that's a big thing in it, to be honest. There's this great call JBL always used to say is every time Undertaker walked out and it was like he wears his battle scars, his badges of honor. I'm like, but like the image of Dead Man Undertaker back then was literally just sort of elder statesman. He's going to come and just put you in your place because that's what he does. By the way, very quickly, going back to Paul Bearer, have you ever seen the video, the outtake video of him and Jerry Lawler talking about Kane and Undertaker and just laughing about it? No. Like they would laugh, like they would, like <clears throat> Paul Barra tried to, was like in character, like staying in character and talking about fucking Undertaker walking in on Paul Barra banging his mum. <laughs> I'll, I'll find that and send you it. It's fucking hilarious. There's, there's, they're awesome. They have, they do social outtakes on the, uh, the um, Undertaker oh, documentary. I've seen the one with Kane. Really good. They're just quite like them, them fucking around in like a barn where he's knocking up a, um, a casket and stuff like that, and just daft shit. Just looks like when the... he said knocking up. I'm very glad he said casket. Jesus Christ! Like the like the legit had like a good time doing it. Have you yeah. heard the story that Paul Bearer? Have you? Well, Paul Bearer's nickname for Taker was Wendy, and apparently yeah, this was because of the ginger hair, hair and <laughs> he looked like the girl from the Wendy's adverts. <laughs> but apparently, he was the only person who could say that. I was going to say, imagine someone else saying that. Can you imagine a rookie coming in and going, eh, Wendy, and just Undertaker just absolutely destroying <laughs> them. Absolutely destroying them. Um, so, just to bring a little bit more structure, what is your favourite Undertaker moment, Garth? Um, one moment. If you had to pick. Honestly, um hard um but the oh, questions uh, will get harder oh god do you know what there's so many good ones but there's one that and it's not it's as much about takers as about someone else and it's when kane debuted because oh it seemed god, to sort of debut. open up this sort of undertaker was always quite sort of mysterious but then you had the like murmurs of kane but then when kane comes out then your mind starts going shit, where's this going to go? What's the story's going to come out of it? Like, look at the size of this motherfucker. Like, nobody to that point really had stood sort of nose to nose. And I remember watching it live. I remember, like, um, watching it and I was recording it at the same time on my VHS. Um, <laughs> and then and then the next day, watching it and just rewinding that bit where Kane comes and rips it off and just looking at it and thinking, this is going to be absolutely fucking amazing. On one um, of our very first podcasts, Garth, that was voted on number one debut. Yeah, just I love that whole, the whole thing of, of what it does for Undertaker, because obviously up to that point, he, I mean, he'd been there for what seven oh, years. Seven years, I so it's not like he was new and they were obviously having to find stuff for him to do, and then this just opened up this massive sort of huge possibilities of story like his brother and all that sort of stuff so yeah that's... the take a cinematic universe I, I, that's it isn't it <laughs> yeah I love that uh, Chris what's your favourite take a moment 
avoid avoid WrestleMania if you can, because that will be a little yeah, bit that I want to ask in a minute. Favorite non-mania moments. One, it was 2009 SummerSlam. CM Punk had just defeated Jeff Hardy, my hero of the time. And then the lights went out. And then the lights came back on. And then CM Punk looked down and Undertaker's um, hand just came up to choke him. <laughs> I thought that, that was like so Taker and it was amazing. Um, it, we're going moment in that match, aren't we? Yeah, you can't. You can't. Say, you can't say match. Just try and avoid Mania because I want to ask that in a bit. Yeah, because one of his best matches is with Angle at No Way Out. That shit's great, unbelievably great. He did. He did have really, really good chemistry with Kurt, and he cited Kurt as one of his favorite opponents. I think probably he, for that reason. He wanted Kurt to end the streak. He wanted quite a few people to end the streak. Um, he's. <laughs> I'm sure he was the one who suggested Mark Henry. Mark Henry, um, also... Yeah, him and Mark Henry are really close. Yeah. I think Orton was one of them as well. Uh, he wa- yeah, he wanted Orton to end it because that makes the most sense. That was a legend killer gimmick. It's also the first time that the streak was actually explicitly referred to. So that was 2005, yeah. that was mainly 21. Um, that, w- oh, that would have made perfect sense. Paul, I felt sorry for anyone involved in that feud because um, hepatitis Orton... Blue, um, <laughs> Austin Senior fucking bled all over fucking cell, and apparently Undertaker was pissed, and I don't blame him. But like, imagine the feeling knowing you pissed off the Undertaker. <laughs> See you later, boys. <laughs> like, well, fucking, they're gonna die. What in storyline? No, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. Um, I think, I think my favorite take oh, moment. I have, I have one more. Oh, go on then. Um, it was lead up to WrestleMania 27, and I caught I like I caught this round at my mate's house just before I um, got the pirated DVD from my brother, and it was when um, Undertaker had won the Royal Rumble. Which, by the way, that Royal Rumble ending with Shawn Michaels is the best ending to any Rumble. Was that uh, the only time he won it? Yeah, and him and, and Shawn to- literally um, had like a ten minute match to end the Rumble. It's like the best ending to any Rumble. So was that um, the run-up to him facing Batista? Batista, yeah. Mm. Um, by the way, the rest of that one rumble is absolute wank. The only good bits for the last 10 minutes. But um, <laughs> they had all three people out. So we had Batista. Uh, it was on Raw the night after. You had Batista. You had John Cena. And then inexplicably, um, for no reason, fucking um, ECW champion Bobby Lashley. Because totally, Undertaker's going to fucking challenge for the ECW championship. Sure. But um because they were on the cover of the game. <laughs> yeah, you were on the cover of it. So he came out and he was staring each one down, right? And um it was amazing because first of all, he barely gave Lashley any t- time. He just went on to Lashley and moved right back to Cena. Um and then like he stared at Cena for like a minute, um not for like what felt like a minute, and then just as soon as it looked like he was gonna say, I pick you, Cena turned right to Batista, and it was like, oh my god. <laughs> but, because like, in kayfabe, those three are shitting their fucking pants. <laughs> <laughs> don't pick me, don't pick me, don't pick me. Oh, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, fuck! Um, <laughs> I think for me, like, I've, the first, the first moment is, it's, it's a little bit of a schadenfreude, a little bit. Um, 
was the absolute burial of DDP um, <laughs> in 2002 with that fucking stalker. I just remember it was... I was watching a friend's house and I'd watched the Attitude Era and obviously, you know, I was programmed to hate EC, uh, WCW and DDP was this WCW person who was being all weird with Undertaker's wife. Um, and then Undertaker just literally obliterated him. It, it, And obviously there was apparently legit heat between the two of them. But that was my first real memory of, oh my God, this man's an absolute fucking psychopath. I just, I, I love that for some reason. And then... <laughs> Moving on from that, it's his match with Jeff Hardy at Raw. Um, Just an absolutely outstanding match. What probably one of the best Raw matches ever. I'd 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 challenge you. Certainly one of the top five. Um, Top five. With Cena's brother. And it was just it was the fact that he put Jeff Hardy over. Yeah, Jeff Hardy didn't win, but. It was at that moment that I realised like the respect that people had for Taker and what Taker could do for a person. Um, Jeff was, you know, a perennial high flyer. You know, nobody really took him seriously. Not in two thousand two, anyway, two thousand three. Um, and then from that moment, Jeff was seen as, you know, a legitimate challenger. He wouldn't get the title for a couple of years, but he was seen as a as a proper championship caliber person, and that was because of the work. That he did with the Undertaker, and just off the TNA a couple of months later. Well, yeah, exactly. But he, it's that that I loved about him—the fact that if he thought you were worthy, he'd move fucking mountains for you. Um, and that was the first real time I noticed it. I mean, I was only thirteen, fourteen at the time, so you know, I'm sure there are other, probably better examples. But that's Gaff the one that really stands 50. out to me. You are. Gaff is about fifty. Hey. Um, um, but things with Taker could like for example he once absolutely destroyed Angle and it was sort of in an absolutely disgusting way. Like early on in Angle's career, like he just buried him. As he was one to do. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, he wasn't as bad as it with some people, but like people literally had their um pushes cut um because of him. Apparently that's why Kizani had his push cut. Kazani. Um, what was the what was the there was Mordecai? Apparently, he was cut because Mordecai. his gimmick was too close to the Undertaker's. There was that guy beginning with V. Was it? V- oh, what was his name? That they did one promo. He did one package, and he was supposed to have a WrestleMania match with Taker. And apparently, he was just seen as too short to actually mm-hmm. have a legitimate match with The Undertaker. So he only ever had one promo, and then that was it. He was never seen again. Never had a match. That was literally it. I'm going to have to try and find him in a minute. Um, I can't remember. Do, you remember, do you remember that um, Devil's Advocate, Sean O'Hare? Not Sean O'Hare, hang on. Who did Devil's Advocate, I think? That's Sean O'Hare. That was Sean O'Hare, yeah. yeah. That was, like, that. I'm surprised that, like, just some thing of people who got packages and went nowhere. How did that get take off? That's great. Did he not have um? Did, they dropped them, didn't they? <clears throat> yes. Did he not have a? He, yeah, get injured or is he not one who got done for like beating up his wife or something? Stuff like that. It was something. And then he died like not long after. I don't uh, know. 
it's like it's weird because when you watch that um like take a talk you can tell for most of that sort of the latter part even like when he come back it's always been like how can I make both of us look the very best we possibly can which was like at odds with a lot of what was going on at the time especially with the likes of Triple H who was just like put me over it I want to win everything <laughs> I think Taker seemed to be very selective with who he buried whereas like people like Triple H like Hulk Hogan were just sort of like he's getting over <laughs> I should stop that <laughs> Taker was never really bothered about the belt I don't think no, he, ever, when well, he, well, he didn't need it no, I don't, he never really had it long enough to care no <laughs> Um, he just sort of because I think he's he's sort of it was above the belt like I don't know well that's it, is it? yeah that's the kind of thing I was thinking like he, he didn't need it because there was no he he was the prize for most <laughs> for, for like most people's matches like just the yeah. fact that the the streak was well the streak was kind of like a title in itself well that's the thing on going up to WrestleMania 29 with a triple threat between Sheamus Randy Orton um, CM Punk and Big Show to see who'd face Taker at um, Mania. And you're sort of looking at that going, there's only really one good option here. Also, why would you fight to face Taker? <laughs> because like, you don't <laughs> want to get your ass handed to you. It's the thing, like, but it was completely unnecessary because the way CM Punk conducted that, fe- that feud, it didn't need the match, but it still kind of worked because CM Punk can make anything work. Um... Sorry, know, like, guys. What? I've just found out who that guy was who did that one promo. Hade Vanson. Who? I've never even heard of him. What? If you YouTube Hade Vanson... Hold on, I'm going to look this up right now. He did one promo. He was in like a back alley. He did one promo and he was rumoured to be in a WrestleMania program with The Undertaker, but apparently what? they got cold feet. Vade Johnson? Hade Vanson. 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 Jeez. Here we go. Vade Vanson. No, Hade oh. Vanson. Yeah, Hade Vanson. That's what I've got. I don't need this. I'm not going to buy Stadia, Google. Oh, it's Triple H. Oh. So. I do reckon. Oh, yeah, because I, I actually watched this show. So what? Oh what was the reason? What was the, the drop? Legit, he was too small, apparently. Jeez. How, how tall is he? Uh, no idea. No idea at all, but apparently that's... I mean, look, in my opinion, it would have gone something like Taker absolutely mullering Maven, which is another one of my <laughs> favourite moments. Forgot about that. Yeah, Maven um, eliminated him from the Rumble. The Rumble, and Taker just absolutely murdered him for what... For, just took him backstage, smashed him through the popcorn machine. It, it, if ever there was a burial, it was that. It was... But- Horrendous. On YouTube, an episode of FCW with Hayd Vanson in it has come up. There you go. There you go. You can do some research in a bit on Hayd Vanson. We can do. We our next retrospective can be on the career of Hayd Vanson. It'll be a five <laughs> five minute podcast. He cut the promo and went to then uh, um, went to FCW and it's done. <laughs> <laughs> so, do we think that? He's definitely done now. No. I hope so. I actually hope so. For his own fucking sake. Right. The One thing we learnt from 
the last ride is that he worships the very ground that Vince McMahon work, walks on. He's said mm-hmm. that he'd take a bullet for him. He's said that, you know, he'd, you know, sees him as a father figure, all this. If Vince comes, and he's always, and Michelle McCool says, you know, if Vince was to come round and say that he needed him, he'd be there like a shot. And Taker, unfortunately, has proved that again and again and again, he will be there to bail out Vince McMahon. For better, for worse. I mean, that unfortunately has led us to that catastrophic Crown Jewel match and that catastrophic Goldberg match. But, you know, he's done it. Can I honestly say that Taker will ever be able to just go, no, Vince, I am actually done? No, they've just done an entire documentary, five episodes, about how Taker is searching for that one final match. Are you telling me that he's just completely abandoned that? Mm. It's just the way he was talking, he's just like, it's just, I don't know, it kind of feels quite definitive. I hope to God it is. Like Chris said, I hope it is, because this, it's, even though it's not that one final match that he wanted, that one belter, you know, trying to recreate those Shawn Michaels matches, those Triple H matches, it is a very, very unique way of, you know, driving off into the sunset on your mm-hmm. Harley Davidson. I think, you know, it is unique. It's something that everyone will always remember. What I just I just hope now that we don't get, you know, another Saudi Arabia match where, you know, we've got The Undertaker taking on Baron Corbin or something really, really just just a match that doesn't need to happen. Yeah. Because the man is in so much legitimate pain. After giving the company so much, after giving us as fans so much he deserves to be able to go out on his terms in a way that he wants without being shepherded back into the ring where I still think that that end at uh, at 33 was just the perfect end you said this Chris I said this earlier and he was like and Rob was like nah and then I was like yeah and then now you've agreed with me so it's just canon now great I still still always said it should have been Kane (laughs) it should have been Kane it should, it be should have been Kane. They should both go down at the same time. Have like, him, like legitimately, but very quickly, has him and Taker ever actually had a great match? No, no. Um, They've always not... been sort of uh, smoke and mirrors sort of brawls. Like smoke and mirrors matches can work. That's basically all we've got in the COVID era. You know what? If if Kane was up to scratch. <laughs> Kane versus Taker in a Boneyard style match would have been fucking incredible. He's too busy not putting his um, county into lockdown. Because <laughs> he's Kane. <laughs> exactly. COVID isn't going to fuck with Kane. <laughs> Tonight, on Sunday. Sunday, Sunday. Um... <laughs> so, it's hard to sort of... Uh, I mean, how long are we going now? What, half an hour? 40 minutes? Uh, we've done... 40, 45 minutes. Yet, there's still so much to say about Undertaker because... We haven't even mentioned the streak yet. That's the thing. It's like... Like, there's so much to it and there's so much reverence around the character. Everybody in and out around wrestling knows him. Everybody sort of would love that chance to wrestle him. Like, you see the respect people have for him. I don't think it's a respect of sort of Oh shit, there's Taker. I have to go and shake his hand. It's like, there's Taker. Like, he's a. If not for him, amongst others, we wouldn't be here. Um, But 
I don't know. I think that Boneyard match to me will I will happily have that as his going away sort of swan song because I enjoyed it. It was just crackers. It was. It it was a good way to end. Um, I, let's let's we we need to talk about the streak then. So obviously, you know, we've all got different opinions of you know what should have been the end, whether he should have, you know, lost a match and, you know, which ones were clangers, Giant Gonzalez and King Kong Bundy. Um, in all honesty, going back to what you said, I never, th- I didn't say that WrestleMania 33 should have been the end. That, you know, that would have been perfect. You know, not necessarily the opponents. Um, no, I, no, that's, that's harsh. I think Roman could have been the perfect opponent. Unfortunately, the, it just it wasn't a good match, and even though you know the entire thing with leaving his coat and his jacket and his gloves and hat and everything in the ring, that was perfect, and it felt like a moment. Chris said you were in tears. Honestly, so was I. Um, you know, because I thought that's that's it. Um, but I think personally, he could have retired years before. I think mm-hmm. twenty eight, and I said this to you, Chris, before twenty eight was the perfect time. The entire match was seen as the end of an era, okay? Why not have that as the end of The Undertaker in the WWE? He's been in the company for 22 years, okay? You know, he's it's you've got the end of Triple H as a full-time competitor, the end of Undertaker as a full-time competitor, and the end of Shawn Michaels, who, of course, retired uh, two years previous. It It felt like the moment, because ultimately, what was the end of an era? Nothing. The Undertaker carried on. Triple H just carried on. It, it didn't have the gravitas <laughs> it needed. It was a cracking match. Have it end there because, in my opinion, and I will defend this till the day I die, Undertaker should not have lost. He should not have been defeated in this streak. We will never see anything like this ever again, ever in our lifetimes, which is terrifying when I say it out <laughs> loud. But. I think this could have been one of those things in history that we look back on and go, or it could have been. But it like, could have been. In terms of sheer amounts, what was that? 24, 25 WrestleMania. I've never done anything 25 times. I haven't even had sex 25 times. <laughs> and you often did them free. Um, yeah, just, I don't know. What's, everyone's favorite streak match. Apart from Michael's. <laughs> Um, apart from Michaels, because to be honest, I think Michaels is just because we'll all just say Michaels. They're they're on a they're on a a little bit of a plinth above both both twenty six and twenty five are twenty six is the my favorite one personally. Twenty five is like is an objectively better match, but I'm a story over um work rate guy, and the story in twenty six was just better for me. Yeah, absolutely. Street versus career is going to be inherently more story driven, isn't it? So, yeah. Also, but like we at that point, you're arguing over which ten out of ten is better. It's like arguing what's better, Terminator Two or Star Wars: The Last Jedi. Hey, fuck off! (laughs) God, are you trying to give him a coronary? What are you doing? That was bait. That was pure bait. Oh my god! That was Tyler bait. Hey. Um, it's like trying to compare like Terminator Two to um, The Shining. Like you're arguing over which classic is better at that point. So, so matches other than the two, 
Other than Shawn Michaels, yeah. I'm going to go the match with Triple H. Which one? There's three of them. The one where he came back and he'd cut his hair. Oh, 28 in um, Hell and Cell. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was just fucking brutal. And it was that, that's arguably for me, what Triple H's best match as well. Um, is it? I'd one prefer to be honest, my favourite Triple H match is Brian's and 30, but that's personal reasons. <laughs> Rob? Chris? What do you say, Jules? Um, I haven't said mine, I just want to hear yours, Steve, first. Yours is punk, isn't it, Chris? No, it's not punk. <laughs> so punk. It's 100% punk. Um, I think... His entire trilogy with Triple H is great. There isn't a bad match. You know, they're all different. Um, I think 27 is, un, you know, underrated in all those matches, but I think that's why 28 is so great. Um, a fucking weird one, isn't it? Because, like, Taker didn't beat Triple H. He survived it. Survived him and then, like, came back the next year and just killed him. Yeah, basically, <laughs> that was the story going into 28 that basically Triple H had done something that no one else had done and that was force Undertaker to not leave the arena under his own steam but the finish is great when Triple H just goes for that one last killing blow with the sledgehammer and Undertaker just drags him in for the Hell's Gate oh it's just it's fucking great um it's it's not my favourite because I think honestly my favourite is probably going to be 28 but I don't want to say the same as Garth I really enjoyed that Ric Flair match just, like for, just for the sheer fucking insanity and the lengths that Ric Flair was willing to put his fucking body through at 835 <laughs> years old. Like he was at that point he was only about half the age of Garth and like hey. I mean <laughs> by the time the ma- like the bell even rang, he was already sweating buckets yeah. and was ble- probably and was bleeding. I was just gonna say already wearing the crimson mask, just, just absolute bollocks. Actually, then, it was great. Up for some reason and <laughs> delivered a um double ace fan buster. It was it was just crazy town banana pants and it's great. Um mine I mine's caught between Mania twenty three and twenty four because Mania twenty three like you saw him and it was like this unbelievable spectacle and he had a great match with Batista. Pro- I, I say probably it, it's definitely Batista's best match and the, my the brother fight, really likes that match. Really likes great. that match. It's it's great. It's like a WWE, it's like the perfect WWE match, if that makes sense. Um, and then, but like Mania 24 against Edge, that's the first time as a wrestling fan. So that's my first WrestleMania after um, that I had the build up for, that I lived through the build up for. And um, Taker going after Edge, it was just like the coolest thing to me because Edge was my favorite. Undertaker was my other favorite. Rey Mysterio was injured because he was always injured around this time. Um, and it's the first time I could actually be actively hyped going into a WrestleMania. And of course, I didn't see it until like three weeks afterwards because my brother was very lazy about pirating this one. But yeah, just as soon as I saw Undertaker come out in that match, I'm like, oh my god. And like, also, like, we've me and Gaff have reviewed this match on when we used to do classic segments, and just um, in kayfabe, Edge doing everything to sort of try and <laughs> um stop the Undertaker's mind games. For example, um, Michael Cole put over on commentary, um, Edge has, Edge's champion gets to choose who comes out first, so instead of taking the adulation of being first out in the main event of WrestleMania, 
he's going to come out second so he doesn't need to sit through the Undertaker's entrance. I'm like, that is, <laughs> that is fucking perfect. Because it's so weird. Undertaker never came out first. Ever. No, ever. No. Like, in championship matches, he'd always come out second anyway. And then Edge was... And then, like, they've not only managed to subvert everyone's expectations, they also um, managed to make Edge look like the biggest heel in the world. And also, take his entrance almost killed about 300 people in a segment in, like, the upper sector of that stadium because the pyro went wrong. So oh, yeah. The, was that when the firework went into the top row? Yeah. Fucking And, like, fire. it's weird. Baker has a bad history of pyro just, I think we forgot to mention the fact he got almost burnt alive yeah, it was just, just went on to do, do hell and, in the cell and then and went on to do an elimination chamber match chamber, yeah. and like you could see like first of all you can see him like pouring water over himself which is like unbelievable like how the fuck did he do and it wasn't a bad chamber match either that's the thing and then which is the best part imagine being the pyrotech who fucked up on the Undertaker. Oh God, imagine if Undertaker found out it was you as well. I think Undertaker did, because there's there was only one pyro guy. My God, mm-hmm. I why haven't you got a job anymore? I fried the Undertaker. <laughs> I almost <laughs> killed the Undertaker. I thought he was already dead. Let's not go into that. That's not the point. <laughs> I have a different question for you then. So we've looked at the street, we've looked at matches and all that. Who was Undertaker's best rival? Shawn Michaels. Rival or match? Rival. I, I think with storyline, match, overarching, Kane. whoever. I think with Kane, it's a case of um, they did that way too much. Like when it came, like for example, when it got to the 2010 matches, just fuck off. Shane McMahon <laughs> <laughs> for control of Raw, which he then lost and then got control of Raw anyway, so it was a pointless match. <laughs> no, got control of SmackDown. Well, didn't matter, did it, in the end, ultimately. Who gave a shit? Um, yeah, I, I still think Sean, just because like, he still had like good rivalries with Sean, he had good exchanges with Sean, and then like he has a, he has a good match with Sean in like different eras. Okay. Uh, yeah, like, he has 10 out of 10s with Sean. Like, he does. Uh, Hell in a Cell, the team any matches, all 10 out of 10. So. Do you think I mean, I'm with, I'm with you on one hand, Garth, because you know, growing up, the rivalry was Undertaker versus Kane. That that was the whole thing, and then the Brothers of Destruction, which was amazing. My probably one of my most enduring memories of the Undertaker is holding the WCW World Tag Team Championships with Kane. So you know, storyline wise, Kane certainly. Unfortunately, they just kept delivering clangers when it was their thing. I mean, the match at uh, Mania 20 was boring and a bit naff. Uh, Their match at Mania 14 was boring and a bit naff and it went a bit long. Um, They they don't tend... And that sort of sullies the rivalry a little bit for me, but storyline-wise, I'm completely with you. I don't think this is his greatest feud. It's just a feud I want to put out there. I think his feud with Mankind... I was just going to say Mankind, yeah. was, ...was... Fucking great. That was great. It's so, it was uh, uh, around that time it ended up being Taker's default feud. It's like he has no one to feud with, so we'll throw him with Foley. Yeah. And, you know, the mind games that Foley used to play as Mankind, you know, the Boiler Room Brawl match was great. The stuff with Paul Bearer, 
just that entire thing, that entire storyline was fantastic. And, you know, he used to have great... I mean, the Dudley boys, they that was a great feud when he buried Paul Bearer in concrete. Never forget <laughs> that Undertaker legitimately killed Paul Bearer, although he didn't, apparently, because you can survive that. He called he killed Muhammad Hassan a year later. He did kill Muhammad Hassan. Yes, um, you saw his head being split on the fucking concrete. That was that was oh god, that was so brutal, such a brutal burial. Do you remember the Vince McMahon match where like Vince McMahon like bled like a fucking pig and like that when he got buried. Oh my- that yeah, was that like was when Kane. Undertaker got buried by Kane, yeah, and then came back to the dead man. It matched with Kane, and then the Nexus buried him for some reason, and that was never, ever, ever, ever explained. What you mean the WWE fucked up a Nexus storyline? Imagine that. So, yeah. Final um, question I, for you. Can I quickly just put um, a couple things out there? One main during member memory of the um, Brothers of Destruction is them destroying MVP and Mr. Kennedy on Smack on a random SmackDown, and. I forgot about the thing so, he had with Mr. Kennedy. Yeah. Didn't Mr. Kennedy, that like, just... smash his head in with his microphone? Yeah, because Mr. Kennedy was doing the whole I've beaten six world champions in the six months I've been here type thing. And it was working, and then Taker came along. Um, <laughs> Absolutely and him. I, I want to throw a feud out there that, like, no one ever talks about, but it's great. It's the Punk feud. That was great. Shock, Chris picks up the CM Punk feud. I can't remember it. Um, he essentially started, like, he started fucking with the urn. Is this when they were both like, on SmackDown? Yeah, no, they, they were on Raw. It was leading up to... Um, Mania 29. Mania 29. Um, oh, and, like, and he stole Undertaker's urn. And <laughs> he's, he cut this promo backstage where he was, like, throwing the... Um, an upside down, and they um up and like upside down all around, and he was like, um, oh, it'd be a shame if anything happened to the urn taker. It's a very sacred urn to you. And then at the end, he was like, oh, I dropped it. Oh, but the thing is, it was, it was great. Is this it. when uh, he stole Paul Bearer's ashes as well? Oh, that yeah, that one wasn't the best part. But then again, apparently, like both Taker and um. Like, Taker, Bearer's family, and Punk were all like, Paul Bearer probably won this, but also, like, if, you ever, if you've ever seen um, Paul Bearer's family, they're not the best. Did he, did he open it at any point, and did the big beam of light come out? Mm, oh, my God. No, no. That was amazing. No. That's officially, like, no longer kayfabe, I'm afraid. What? Oh, the the Duracell yeah. urn? Yeah, the... The urn with the light bulb in it—that's not been a thing since like the fucking nineties. It's such a shame. That was that's pretty much a staple of Undertaker's character. Um, okay, final question, potentially a contentious one. I'm going to start with you, Garth. Do you think? Okay, it's a multifaceted question. Do you think a the Undertaker should have lost the streak? Do you think he should have carried on as you know, however many you know? If you think not. Do you think Brock Lesnar was the right person to break it? And if not, who do you think should have broken it? Um, I think maybe, but I think yes, it should have ended. But I think that should have been the end. Um, Brock 
I suppose at the time he was the only legitimate person. If the crowd and WWE had built up Roman Reigns, I would have been happy for him to do it. Um, but no, I think it should have been done, and I think he should have been when he ended his career. That should have been his him going out. The streak's done. His powers have diminished. Kane defeated him in a buried alive match. But Kane buried himself with the take with Taker, and they died <laughs> together as brothers. Kane Fear the black. Fear the black. Done. And then turns his fire on himself. <laughs> that is both the most amazing yet saddest thing I've ever seen. I've ever I've heard you sh- book. I've had that shit in my locker for, for years. Kane, um, Kane fucking commits to Duke. It's not Sudoku. What's the name for it? Oh. What the Japanese art of? Uh... Yeah. <laughs> it just I don't know. It, it always seemed to me like it, it made the most sense for. Came to be the one to take Undertaker out, but at the same time ended his own like career as well. It'd be a bit morbid though. Like you definitely have people complaining and going, "Someone killed himself. Some wrestling. My son is scarred for life." Ah, but those people, those people can get in the fucking sea. (laughs) Amazing. Um, Triggered assholes. (laughs) Chris, same question. Um. Okay. The way I see it. Um, there were a few opportunities where Undertaker streak, um, losing a streak would mean something. And like for example, I jokingly said earlier that I think Punk should have ended the streak. I don't. Like I don't think that would have worked. Like I think the only time would have worked. It would have just got heat on Punk. But his thing. Um, well, so, um, what the heat is for reason Undertaker should ever lose. The only reason Undertaker should ever lose a streak. So, for example, I think him losing to Lesnar was a stroke of genius because WWE had booked Lesnar to lose twice, which he shouldn't have done with Lesnar. He got him to lose to fucking Triple H and um, John Cena, both of which on the biggest stages because he lost at his first Mania back and then his first match back, which is not how you book fucking Brock Lesnar. <laughs> so then, like, as soon as he beat Taker. He became so. It's like in Mega Man when you beat a boss and you take on his powers. Um, Brock Lesnar kind of did that, where like he's still kind of this unstoppable beast, where like all his matches um, must watch because you're like, can this person beat the beast? Um, so, so I think that was actually a bit of a genius move. I kind of agree. Like um, a perfect time to go out would have been with Triple H, but I don't think Taker should have lost. Like definitely shouldn't have lost, especially since Shawn Michaels was referee. You can't have the streak lose. Um, you can't lose the streak on the um, click. <laughs> yeah, on a bullshit finish. Um, honestly, if he didn't get beaten by White, um, by Lesnar, I think Wyatt would have been a good person to beat him at the time. He was still fairly hot. This would have yeah. saved him in the same way it saved Lesnar. Um, but also. Do you remember when Roman Reigns beat him and came out the night after and stood in the ring for, it must have been five minutes, and he didn't say anything because the crowd were booing him. He was booing him so hard. That was the perfect moment for him to cut an absolute badass yeah, heel promo, and he would have been the most hated and best heel. To cut a promo, because what he did was perfect. He just went on the mic and went, this is my yard now, and yeah. put the down and walked out. That was perfect. And then we just continued to destroy him for the rest of the year. 
it was weird, like, because um, the same year he had that feud with Cena, which sort of, you were like, oh yeah, Cena is much better, especially on the mic. It was just like, like that time with Reigns, obviously going on a tangent here, but it was the perfect time <laughs> to, to turn that guy heel. It's just like, the, they did that. It's like the, the blind to it. It's the same when um, Cena was at that point where there was, he was at that he was at the tip of being the perfect time to turn heel, but they were like, nah, we're not doing it. Think, think of the children. Imagine this 2008, 2019 beat um, Undertaker at Mania. Exactly. Imagine their fucking heat the next night. That's actually a recommendation we can make is Adam Blampier's um, booking of how the streak should have ended, and it was against John Cena. And it was absolutely perfect because it also achieved a John Cena heel turn. It was like the most perfectly booked thing. Yeah. Like- but does he go out in a buried live match with Kane? <laughs> Just because it's not your story doesn't mean it's not a good story. Oh, Do you know like... what I mean? I actually made that in the storyline once I won the WWE games. <laughs> That's kind of God. Do you still have it on your on your like memory card? Because like nah. Rob can come around and you can show us the story. It's long gone. I might try and recreate it. Recreate it and like film it because I want to see this. Mm-hmm. I've well, always said I've always said that Undertaker shouldn't be beaten, and I've said it on this podcast. Um, I've been saying like five times tonight. <laughs> I know it. It still upsets me to this point, but I think you know. Again, twenty-eight was the perfect time for him to go out. I think he should have won that match. The results say the same, and that should have been the end. If you were going to end the streak at some point, um, I think you know. I know it wasn't really a streak at this point at 13 but Randy Orton as the legend killer would have been an absolutely perfect place to end it. Yes. Um, again, I know it's only 13-0, but Orton was very much in that legend killer gimmick style. I think that would have worked. Um, I think Michaels at 25 could have been, could have been one. Um, Kane, for storyline reasons and for all the history they've shared, would have been would have been perfect if they. And then kill himself. <laughs> yeah, and apparently kill himself and bury himself alive with uh, with the Undertaker's corpse, which is a little bit morbid, but sort of hampered by the fact that they can't they can't really wrestle together. Um, I don't. I I agree with you, Kristen. I think Punk would have been good. I think Lesnar would have been good, um, but I don't think the way they booked him around that time worked. Um, <laughs> so it's worth the Lesnar one because of course Taker got concussed. The match just ended up being um, Lesnar. Um, chucking Taker around as carefully as possible, um, yeah. and it, and it sort of it's sort of like Black Panther. It's like, is this your champion? <laughs> at least, at least we didn't have him go out at either of those Saudi shows. Oh my god! Can you imagine if the streak ended or the match? Oh my god! His last match, what, that what? fucking Goldberg match. <laughs> um, what, Jesus! I remember like the first time he came back at Saudi show. It's super weird because. It was the first time he hadn't turned up at a Mania. It was at 35. Yeah, 35, and he didn't turn up. And then he was booked against Chris Jericho, who had just had a match in New Japan. And But then that match got cancelled, and Rusev was asserted for some fucking reason. And then Jericho left. Yeah, I mean, Jericho, he was in that Rumble, actually. He was in the Greatest Royal Rumble, and that was his last match for the WWE. Yeah. Jesus. Um, (laughs) Last thing, I think, 
I think you're right, Chris. I think a knock on a massive Bray Wyatt mark. Um, you know, it just it, it was a simple storyline. Undertaker was the old face of fear, and Bray Wyatt was professing himself to be the new face of fear. I mean, they both have very similar gimmicks. Surely that would have been a perfect passing of the torch. Um, but there we are. There we are. Um, right, guys. Are there any closing thoughts? on the career of the undertaker and genuinely just what we've what we've genuinely been chatting shit about garth uh, any more people burying themselves alive <laughs> uh nah um just i think it's 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 kind of sad because this is literally the end of an era of wrestling that no longer exists he is the last guard he is the last sort of gunslingers used to call him um but it's also good to reminisce like we have and look back at this fucking body of work that he's done and he will never go away. He will be there up there with people like Bruno and Ric Flair and all those others. Um, he is a Mount Rushmore character. I'm in, I'll be interested to see if he goes in the Hall of Fame next year because he doesn't strike me as the type of guy who really gives a shit about that. Uh, the only time he's turned up is when he did that thing for Paul Bearer, um, 2014, I think it was. <clears throat> he didn't even say anything. He just came out and did the, the sort of salute. But, nah, it's just, it's incredible that someone stayed at one company for 30 years, stayed on top for 30 years, had oh, no. so I'm many, 30 years. so many memorable sort of moments. Um, just amazing. Just Top two, top top three, whatever. Whoever your favorite is, take us next. That's that's how I would probably put it. So Bret Hart's your favorite, take will probably be next. Absolutely. Uh, Chris, what about you? When it comes to WWE stuff, I can't think of people I like more than like in terms of like pure WWE bollocks. Like I don't think anyone was better than Taker. It's weird because he literally never been like the guy in the company. Like it went like to Hulk Hogan to Liga for uh, like six months to Hart to Rock Austin to um, no one for a while then Cena then um, Roman then Brock etc. He's never been the guy but he's always the one you put in there to legitimize the guy apart from Hogan. Again, he's like the but... stabilizer. Yeah that's the thing. He's, he's the control. Like in like in any experiment, you have like that one constant, and he's there. Like name the only like guy he was the guy he never had a proper feud with was Cena. Mm-hmm. But like people, WWE wanted to push like um, Batista in there with Taker. People who need to get better in there with Taker. Like they put they put Big Show on the road with Taker because they were like Big Show, you're not up to snuff. You're right. Jeff Jeff Hardy had his match with Taker, and then he was champion like the next six months or something. Exactly, and like if you go and take his bad side, don't get me wrong, you're fucked. CM Punk was fucked after you crossed Taker, but um, if, if Undertaker does shine to you, you're going to the fucking top, apart mm-hmm. from if you're a Kishi. But, <laughs> um, and it's super weird, like, because all this has happened, but like, when you think about it, a lot of Undertaker's biggest moments are people take, like, two of Undertaker's biggest moments is throwing Rikishi off the hell and cell and throwing mankind <laughs> on top of the cell. Which so, we haven't even really mentioned. Yeah. And, like, so his biggest moments are, like, other people taking bumps for him. This is how, <laughs> like, quite frankly, it's how you should do it. 
if you're playing smart. The fact that he wrestled that that King of the Ring '98 match and he'd already got a broken foot. Yeah. And that's just, and then he jumped down into the cage, which was baffling, um, to see if Foley was all right. And he's like, "You've got a broken foot. Don't land on it, you idiot." But it's it's when like the bits where he comes up through the ring and all that sort of stuff as well, just all that sort of highly pantomime stuff. I loved like the stuff you mentioned before. Where he floated up to fucking heaven. <laughs> Amazing. Like you just, it's, you just accept it as part of the sort of mythos. We don't really get that anymore. I mean, we've got the Firefly Funhouse and that sort of thing, but that's that's nothing. You know, that's that's nothing on the Undertaker stuff and the way that used to be. And I, we're never, ever, ever. You know, we'll have great wrestlers, we'll have great in-ring technicians, but we'll never, ever ever have a character like The Undertaker, someone who was so... You know, you listen to anyone talk about The Undertaker and he is almost universally revered by absolutely everyone, not only as a wrestler, not only as a person, but also as a locker room leader, as a mentor, as someone that you can go to and ask advice from. He just sounds like an absolutely stand-up dude, basically. And... It's a little bit sad that, like I've said, you know, he didn't get that one match that he clearly craved. But if this is the end, then thank you, Taker, because you've given us 30 years of just mental memories. Absolutely <laughs> mental memories. WrestleMania will not be the same without it. And it's yeah. going to be, he's going to be one of those people that, like, because, like, my kids kind of. They'll ask about wrestling and they'll watch the odd bit. But he's going to be one of the people that will ultimately, if they decide to get into it, will be enthralling them. And they'll want to watch his stuff regardless of how old it is. Absolutely. Some A lot of the Undertaker, Undertaker's stuff is, is timeless. Especially some of those later WrestleMania matches probably mm -hmm. from... Well, you know, even some of the older ones that, you know, the X7 one is great. Uh, probably wouldn't go back and watch the Big Boss Man one from 15. That's a bit of a, mm. a wet fart. But, um, you know, like we already mentioned, Ric Flair, the Randy Orton matches. And then we go on to, you know, Batista and Edge and their great matches as well. Um, that match against Edge, just the Hell's Gate, such an underrated um, submission from The Undertaker. It, it's fucking great. I love it. Um, anyway... I think we should probably hold it there. Um, thank you so much for listening, guys. We really do appreciate it. We hope you've enjoyed our little just little trip down memory lane talking all things Undertaker. We hope we've done it some manner of justice, though, like Garth said, we could do an entire four or five-hour podcast on everything that Undertaker has given to the WWE, their favourite memories and all the things that he's done. But we'll hold it there. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we really do appreciate it. Go and subscribe to the podcast anywhere that you get your podcasts, whether it be Apple, whether it be iTunes, Google Play, wherever we are there. Go and check out the website, www.podmania.co.uk. We can check out our match rating, view all the archived podcast episodes, features, reviews, all that kind of nice things. Um, you can talk to us on Twitter at at Podmania. Talk to me on Twitter at at RealRobGoodwin. Garth, where can they find you? At Gothamania. Chris? At Microsoft Technical Support. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> and we will all end on the uh, on the thing that's most appropriate, I think, for this podcast, and that is thank you, Taker. 
Uh, we'll see you again, same time, next week. You've been listening to the Podmania Pro Wrestling Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Podmania, Facebook at Podmania Podcasts, and YouTube and Instagram at RealPodmania. And check out the website, podmania.co.uk. Until next time, wrestling fans... Thank you.